Hey, welcome back to Business of Film. It's episode number 51. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. Uh, welcome to 2015. Uh, we took a little bit of hiatus. Uh, sorry for that. If you were expecting the, uh, the, like the last episode we did was, uh, well, it was more than a month ago. That's, that's for sure. But we're happy to be back, and uh, we're going to be starting a cool uh, ongoing series. It's not going to be necessarily, uh, it's not going to necessarily be sequential, uh, but it's something that I thought would be really cool, which would be the uh, producer relationship with. And so we're going to talk to uh, first ADs, uh, to unit managers, line producers, supervising producers, uh, and, and whatnot, and try and get uh, a little bit more information about the producer's relationship with these various uh, department heads. And... Uh, today, we're starting that off with a conversation uh, with the first assistant director, Stuart Young. He's a member of the DGA and DGC. Uh, we're really happy to have him on the show, and uh, we're happy to have all of you out there who are listening to this show uh, continue to listen to this show, and who have been listening to this show and have been writing in and uh, telling us what they think. Uh, those comments are uh, so appreciated. Uh, I can't tell you. It's 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 really wonderful to hear from people um, who have written us or uh, sent us a note on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Craft Truck uh, on, uh, on Twitter. And if you happen to be on iTunes and you're just kind of strolling around there, drop us a few stars, uh, write a review. It really helps uh, people uh, find the show. And, uh, and that's, it'd be awesome. If, if you have the time and you're there, just take the extra two seconds, uh, drop a review down on iTunes, and uh, just help spread the word. So without further ado, this is episode number 51. Uh, thank you for listening, and here we go with the first episode of 2015. Thank you, Stuart, for coming on the show. Uh, I, I very much appreciate it. If you could give our listeners a little bit of a quick rundown of who you are and what you do, that would be awesome. Okay, well, my name is Stuart Young. I'm a first assistant director. Uh, I basically describe my job as to stand in the middle of a room and yell at people who have no interest in listening to me. <laughs> my primary purpose uh, on a film set is to work as the right-hand man of the director to organize and schedule and execute the day. Um, as a sort of summary, if we as an AD department do our jobs properly, the only thing a director should worry about from the time he walks on set in the morning till the time he leaves at night is getting the performances out of the actors he needs to tell the story. The rest of it falls to us as far as organization and execution. So let's actually just sort of put this in context for just a second. You're a member of both the DGA and the DGC, if I'm not correct. That is correct, yes. And, and you've been doing this now for how many umpteen years? Uh, close to 30. Holy crap. That's that's a long time in the business. I'm not going to lie to you, Stuart. That's a long time in the business. And the fact that I'm still alive, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell me, uh, the, the, the nature of this sort of mini-series that I'm doing right now is uh, the producer relationship with, and in this case, obviously, we're talking to you, a first assistant director. But what I want to ask you right off the top is, which master do you really serve on set? Do you serve the director? Do you serve the production? Do you serve the producer? When And I use the word master really as a metaphor, but can you serve three masters, and who do you really feel is the master to the first assistant director position? The director. The director is my master. But by the same token, um, to serve that master, I must also recognize and uh, work with producers and the actual budget of the show. 
it does me no good as a first assistant director if I allow my director to run rampant and spend five and a half, six hours shooting a two-page scene when we have five or six pages to shoot that day when I know we do not have the time or money to add another day to the show. At the end, the director may have a brilliant 12-second scene, but he won't finish the movie. Or the movie will be shot in such a way to keep it within the time frame that his big important scenes are going to be a master and, and two pickups or a master and two close-ups. They will not be the type of scene that he needs. So yes, to serve the director means to serve the director in getting the picture that he wants done. And that also means having to realize and respect the budget and time frame and requirements from the producer. So when producers hire actors, they say, we have this actor for this period of time. And the actor sometimes comes with contractual obligations. They won't work more than 12 hours a day. They won't work, you know, before 10 in the morning. They won't work past midnight. All of those factors have to be taken into consideration. So when the director says, well, I think this is going to be an 18-hour day, and I go, it can't be an 18-hour day because in seven hours you lose this guy, he gets in his car and goes, oh. So do, do you find that in the discussions that you have with producers on set it, it, as kind of being in the middle then between the uh, the director and his vision and what the producer may require uh, contractually of his actors and of the budget and of all that kind of stuff. Do you find yourself sandwiched in the middle and uh, 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 as sort of a necessary part of the job in terms of being able to actually get a film delivered and always trying to find a compromise or, or a happy medium? Um, I wouldn't say sandwiched in the middle. Um, there are times when I am put in a position of having to make a judgment call. Um, my, part of my function is if I realize that there is going to be uh, an issue on set, particularly if early in the morning I know that we have something that may cost us time or money later on, my obligation is to let the producers know as soon as possible. I cannot make executive decisions. That is not within my realm of, 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 um, uh, of my, my job description. I can guide, I can cajole, I can suggest, I can recommend. But when it comes down to it, the only person who can really override a director and director's decisions is the producer. They're the ones that are signing the checks. If they choose to allow the director to go over budget or over time or add another day, that's not my decision to make. I can recommend and what I do bring is, I think, 30 years of experience going, guys, we have this way, which is going to cost us five hours of overtime. Or if we do it this way, it's going to end up looking about the same. It's going to give the director exactly what he wants. It may not be exactly the way he sees it, but we can shoot it this way. We can cut it. We've got it done. And we'll do it within our time frame. Or we make a 20 minutes over. I'd rather take a 20-minute overage than a five-hour overage. So part of it is to recommend a variety of options and let people far above my pay grade make the decision. Once those decisions are made, I will run with them 110%. Let me, I, I, want, I want to come back into that and, and dig into that a little bit more. But, but before we do, let me just kind of take a little bit of a tangent here. And it's only because I, I assume and I imagine you've seen a great deal of change uh, over the period of time in which you've been in the industry. Uh, over the last 
decade or two, what would you say are the major things or shifts in the way production's being done that's affected your job? Um, I would say the um, the tightening up of the budgets, and, and to be perfectly honest, uh, one of the major changes that I've seen, um, particularly shooting in Canada, is the rise of what I call the yes man producer. Um, the producer who, um, whose loyalty, uh, not loyalty, but who is in awe of stars or agents or actors, um, and who really does not know production, who does not come up through the ranks. Um, we used to, uh, as an example, shoot TV movies in 30 days, 32 days, 34 days. We're now down to shooting TV movies in 12 days, in some cases 15. Um, the budgets have not kept pace with the cost of production. Actor salaries have gone up, and uh, um, I hate to say it, but especially a lot of the studios um, are now run by bean counters, people who have no production experience whatsoever, but are used to just looking at a bottom line. Um, they will budget a picture with four people who basically sit in the same room and talk for 90 minutes at exactly the same as they will budget a movie that has 30 actors and it's an action adventure and takes place in 70 locations and has car chases and explosions and um, big fights. To them, they're the same. It's a 90-minute movie. They take no consideration into what the script says. And in that, we get saddled with, oh, well, um, I've got 15 days to shoot this movie in, but this is a 30-day movie. Right. Well, you know, tell us what you really think there, Stuart. Sorry? <laughs> I'm just joking. I was saying, tell us what you really think. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, a, a lot of it, and, and in particular, it, it's been more out, uh, evident in Canada than it has been in the States. But I have found situations more and more where producers aren't going to go no. They're not going to say to the director, no, you can't do that. Or they're not going to say to the agent, no, I'm not going to agree to this. Uh, um, that's really interesting. Why, why do you think that is? I think they're in awe. To be perfectly honest, I think they're in awe, and they don't know the power that they have. I mean, the long and the short of it is an agent's job is to get his actor the best deal possible because they're, they get a percentage of it. And... The agent goes, well, if you if you don't like it, we're going to withdraw from the project. And it's like, fine, I can find somebody else. If your your guy really, really, really likes this, this is my terms. Um, you know, I had a situation uh, recently uh, on a show that I was doing where the the I had two relatively big name stars, um, not not A list Hollywood, but certainly B list TV. And the agent said, uh, we insist on a 12 and 12 contract because we know what low budget movies are like. And a 12 and 12 contract was going to be a killer for me. That means the actor works 12 hours a day right. and has 12 hours off. So from the time they leave their hotel till the time they get back, can't exceed 12 hours. And from the time they get back to their hotel till the time I can pick them up in the morning, it has to be a minimum of 12 hours. So take travel in, take hair, makeup, wardrobe into consideration. I now have the actor for maybe 10 hours a day, nine and a half hours a day. Take an hour up for lunch. I'm now working with a guy who's on set for eight hours. 
he's being paid for 12. As a matter of fact, he's getting paid more than probably the entire crew is being paid for his one time there. And he's there, you know, for two weeks. The crew's there for three or four. Um, and I went to them and I said, this is unacceptable. And they went, well, that's the best the agent we can do. And I said, that's bullshit. Get on the phone with the agent, give him my name, give him my IMDB page and tell him, I want a regular side contract on this guy. I will not abuse it. You look at my resume. It says, I have been doing this for a long, long time. I know how to make a movie. And they came back an hour later and said, we agree. We agree to standard tag terms. Why? Why do you think that is? Because they knew that I was not some kid who was going to be running around my first time out, you know, shooting 16, 17 hour days because, you know, the director decided he could do it. And the producers were willing to allow it happen. The biggest issue is on a low budget film, the union, uh, that you're usually non-union on the crew. And as non-union crew, I, I, you know, don't like to do it, but I can abuse them as much as I want. There is no penalty except them not showing up for work the next day if they get really pissed off. There's no penalty for overtime or meal penalty uh, for turnaround issues. I don't want to do it because a happy crew is a crew that continues to work well. But, you know, if it comes down to it, if I'm on a, if I'm going to be a 14 hour day, I'll be a 14 hour day if that's what it takes to make the movie. What I try and do is to, to do a trade off where I go, okay, today guys, we're doing a 14 hour day, but we've already had three tens. So you owe me six hours. <laughs> Right. So what you're saying is that, if I can paraphrase, it would be more accurate to suggest that you're trying to, on lower budgeted fare where overtime is certainly a consideration for uh, non-union crew, some days are going to be hard, longer days, and some days we're going to try and come under and make them eight or ten hour days. But overall, you're going for a balance, but the fact is that you have the ability to manage the the really hard days and the really... Uh, or the easier days to make it kind of all work out in the end. Yeah, that's my goal is to make it is, is to to keep a happy crew and a happy director and a happy producer. And then you know if, if that happens, and hopefully people will hire me. Again. Well, uh, I want to I, I want to come back to the, um, uh, the 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 union issue part part of it because uh, do you, do you feel that the union guidelines have uh, changed in such a way over time or currently now when you look at them that they're a fair reflection of what it takes to get a movie made uh, and this could be on the either the dga side or the DG, dgc side um i'm just curious about sort of your opinion about how the union rules affect your job the union um if i'm on a union show I have the advantage of knowing exactly what the rules are. And if we're going to go um, in the meal penalty, as an example, uh, I know what it's going to cost for meal penalty. If we go overtime, I know how much that overtime is going to cost. It's very easy for me to sit down with a producer or even the producer to phone the accountant uh, and go, uh, looks like we're going an hour long today. What's that going to cost me? And the accountant could give them that figure in a couple of minutes. 
you know, we got 35 people on set. This is uh, approximately what their wages, but we're paying out on a daily basis, an hour and a half at uh, double time is going to be X. On a non-union show, there is the advantage of it's not going to cost us anything, but a lot of the times the um, union, the non-union crew will have a crew rep whose job it is to negotiate with the producer. Uh, uh, an aside, a number of years ago, there was a NABET uh, 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 key grip that I'd worked with who became sort of the king of the non-union shows. He did a, a pretty much all the non-union shows in and around the Toronto area. I was working with him on another show. It was a union show. And he came to me about four days in and goes, Stuart, I can't take this anymore. I go, what are you talking about? He said, I can't work on these non-union sh- this union show. It's killing me. And I said, what do you mean it's killing you? He said, I can't negotiate on behalf of the crew like I can on a non-union show. On a non-union show, if we're going to go overtime, I go to the producer and go, okay, we signed a 12-hour day contract. So you want to go over the 12 hours? It's $25 per person, cash, and a case of beer per department. And we would always walk home with money. He said, on, the, on a union show, okay, so it's time and a half. Well, okay, so we each get about $28, and the government takes half, so we're walking home with 13 bucks. And it's not in our pockets, it's on our paychecks. <laughs> and we're not getting free beer. So he, so he found that he had a much better bargaining position as far as getting his crew compensated on non-union shows than he did on union shows. For me... Um, I, I can work as a DTC or a DGA member on with any or no unions. I don't need the, the DGC has no reciprocal agreements, uh, and neither does the DGA with any other unions. So if you sign a DGC contract, you have to sign NABET or IA or even ACTRA. And the same thing works in the, in the States. Um, as far as the guilds are concerned, our contracts have not changed that much. Um, in the States, under a DGA contract, I have a 12-hour workday before I go into overtime. In the DGC, it's a 14-hour workday before I go into overtime. Um, so I'm pretty much on a flat rate. <laughs> flat rate. Right. Uh, do, do you actually find that, and this is sort of an interesting question, just about the nature of film production and, and how you kind of wrangle it all. Do you find that there's an expectation that a day has to be 12, 13, 14 hours in order to get a movie done these days, whereas maybe previously the expectation was that a day could be 8 or 10 hours. Uh, I mean, the the industry is such that, and it's always been this way as far as I can even remember, where there is... uh, the budgets are such and the expectations are such where people come to set and they work uh, a lot. And by the time you, you, you factor in travel for crew to get home and get to bed, you know, people aren't sleeping a lot. And that's just sort of the nature of the beast and people accept that. And I, I don't know if that's right, but it is the way it is. And it's the only it's the only union in the world. In fact, you may have been the one that told me this. It's the only... It's the only business in the world where, where, you know, slave labor can effectively be bought. You can buy anything. That's right. Um, and I think that it's become more standard and producers uh, and studios in particular have dug in more. And again, this comes from, I think, the, the, the philosophy of, of people high up, the bean counter mentality of, well, if we do it in 10 days instead of 12, we save money. 
but it's not true. Um, and a number of years ago, uh, a former produ- uh, production manager, Marilyn Stonehouse, who is, who's been retired for years, um, her production company did a lot of American service TV movie shows, and they would do six eight a year. She got a script, and the studio said, we want to do this in 18 days. And she read the script, and she said, 18 days is crazy. This is a 24-day shoot. And she actually sat down and did a cost analysis. And to shoot the film in 24 days would have saved $50,000 U.S. And she went to the studio and said, look it, shoot this in 24 days. Save yourself $50,000. This is an extra week on equipment, an extra week on the crew, an extra week on rolling stock, an extra week in the studio. It's a no-brainer. And they said, no, we're going to do this in 18 days. And she said, why? What sense is that? It's costing you at least 50 grand more. And they said, well, if we give your director 24 days, then we'll have to give all the directors 24 days, and we ain't going to give those bastards a day more than we think they deserve. And these are people who had no concern whatsoever for the scripts of the stories that they were making. They were only concerned with, well, if we give this guy an extra time, someone else will want it. And again, I think they're people who don't read scripts from a directorial standpoint. They look at it and go, well, there's a script. There's three and a half million dollars. Go do it. Uh, right, but, but we can't. The, the bigger the bigger takeaway there isn't so much. I mean, yes, obviously there's there's that kind of bean counter thing that you're talking about. But for me, the bigger takeaway is the analysis that uh, a producer should be doing up front when they're sitting down and looking at a script, talking to the director, talking to the AD department about figuring out, okay, is it really more effective to to spend more time shooting it or less time shooting it? And you got to factor in things like overtime and uh, your the cost of your cast and all the you know, all the many many variables but that what's interesting and what you said at least to me is that there is a certain amount of analysis that you can do on a project and it's there's not just one way to slice it and if you look at a project through different lenses certain lenses even though you may think it's going to cost more isn't yeah, and what that brings up a very interesting point because one of the things that has changed in the last, say, 10 years in this business is this decision, and I don't know where it's come from, that you don't need to prep a film. You don't need any length of time to prep a film. There was a rule of thumb that we got as an AD department, one week of prep for every week of shooting. If we had a six-week film, we got six weeks of prep. Nowadays, it's like, well, the first gets three if he's lucky. Second gets two, if he's lucky. Um, And we don't care how long the shooting schedule is. As ADs, even directors and DPs don't get brought in until such time as you're about to go to camera. So a lot of decisions that you're talking about, the the cost analysis, uh, is too late to do anything about it. The budget's set, the schedule is set, Sometimes the actors have been have been attached to the picture, and then they hire the AD, the DP, the costume designer, the production designer, the locations manager, line producer, product, uh, PM. And at that point, we're going, guys, we need more time. And they go, well, can't be done. You know, we've hired a guy. He, we have this star. He's available for this three week period. Um, he's in every scene, but he's got a back end uh, commitment, so we can't extend it. <laughs> So this is actually an interesting question because it 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 begs the 
the question of when a producer should approach an AD in the first place. Uh, and, you know, just from personal experience, a lot of the times when, you know, a, a line producer or a production manager will do a script, they're doing it in the abstract without the input from an AD. Uh, when is the optimal time to bring an AD in on the process of budgeting a project? I think before you even start the budget. I mean, I've done an awful lot of script breakdowns for projects uh, that haven't been made or that haven't even been funded yet. And uh, there's specs, you know, generally it's, uh, you know, it's something that I build for and every AD does. But you can't do a proper budget without a schedule. Uh, There's a ton of people who do them. But until you actually sit down and figure out, how many days are you going to need to shoot this? How many days are you going to need this actor? How many days are you going to need this location? Um, you don't really know what it's going to cost you. I did a film years ago with uh, Wayne Rogers and Bo Derek. This was an independent feature in, in um, Fredericton. And we came in, and I had two weeks to prep this. Sorry, can, can, I, can I just put a pause on that? Sure. that that's amazing. <laughs> We're talking about Wayne Rogers and Bo Derek on this podcast. I love that. Oh, sorry, continue. <laughs> and what had happened was, Bo, Bo Derek, who was the star of this, this little TV movie, was booked for the entire three-week run. But Wayne Rogers was booked for a week. Someone had sat down, gone through the script, counted all of the scenes that he was in, added up all the page counts, divided by five, and said, great, we can have Wayne Rogers for a week. Because they figured eight pages a day, divide all the scenes, um, and, uh, you know, we have him for a week. And I get in and I look and I go, guys, Wayne's in every location. Well, what difference does that make? Um, do you want to go to every location twice? Do you want to spend the first week and we shoot every location with Wayne? And then we go back on another day and we shoot it with Bo and everybody else. Oh, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Well, then Wayne's going to be here for three weeks. Oh, but we've only hired him for a week and he's got something he's got to do in L.A. Um, well, something's going to give because you've already established them in the movie. <laughs> So I had to figure out how to give him four days off to go back to L.A., finish something that he had to do, and come back again. It cost them two weeks of his time, which they weren't prepared for, uh, airfare down and back, an extra airfare down and back to L.A. that they weren't prepared for, hotel and per diem they weren't prepared for. Because someone had done the very, very smart, well, final draft gives us how many scenes and how many lines of dialogue for each actor. And that's how they budgeted it. Well, okay, so, so the, had they had an AD who did an initial breakdown, they would have gone, well, you know, Wayne's in for 13 to 15 days. <laughs> uh, so this is actually an interesting uh, segue, I guess, in, into my next question, which is what are the things that a producer should look out for? So when the, when a producer first is having those initial discussions with the first AD uh, or is when, when they're thinking about a project or when they're contracting actors, uh, do you need to take that? No. Okay. Uh, when they're, when they're, when they're, because it's fine, you know, I, I can play elevated music on the side. It's cool. Um, 
<laughs> a little bit of music to you know to help out the podcast. In fact, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to underlay a little bit of music right here. Uh, the yeah. uh, no, the, the the question is, what are the things that a producer producer should be looking out for when they're a having their conversations with the first AD and talking about the project, uh, and or b uh, thinking about actors and contracting with actors because those two things seem to be integrally connected, at least in what we're talking about here. Um, one of the uh, things that uh, um, a, a producer should look at, and as an AD, when I break a script down, I break it down as if I'm a director. What is it going to take to shoot this scene? What are the elements? What are the actors? What are the exits? What are the locations? What are the props? What are the vehicles? When a producer is reading a script, they have to look at it from the same standpoint and sort of keep in the back of their mind. Okay, this is going to be a really good role for X. Um, let's, uh, I mean, this would be a great role for Christopher Plummer. Uh, except that he's in for every scene. Chris is not going to do that. <laughs> not unless you're prepared to pay an exorbitant amount of money and work a six hour or eight hour day because the man's 78 years of age, brilliant actor. He'll do a few 12 hour days, but he won't do 30 of them in a row. He doesn't need to. Um, how many locations, what kind of locations? Is it something that's easy to find or is it something we're going to have to build? Um, how many cast? How many speaking roles? One of the one of my jobs, generally, especially on on TV movies and low budget features, is once I've completed my first pass on the script or even second pass, I start to go through and calculate the um, number of lines people have and start cutting cast. Writers have a tendency to write as if there was no limit on budget or time. And I get a TV movie, I have 30 speaking roles, that's far too many. We can't afford 30 speaking roles. Average for a TV movie is four principals, uh, like four stars, uh, then give me six people who are principals with larger roles and maybe seven or eight max actors who have small lines. So 20 cast tops. Usually I like to keep it in 12 to 15 cast. This, and this would be for any, any kind of, yeah, any kind of a, I guess you could say low budget, quote unquote, type of filmmaking. That That's kind of that range that economically works. Yes. Yes, because if you think about it, an actor uh, on set is $1,000 a day is what between uh, as a, uh, an actor member, their rate plus buyout is going to run you on average a thousand dollars a day. If it's a principal, 15 to $1,800 a day. Now you have to put them in a honey wagon or a trailer of some sort. You need time for hair, makeup, wardrobe. If you have 12 people in a, in a scene in a day, you need accommodations for 12 people. Honey wagon holds eight max. So you need to find other places to put these people. It also means that you have to double up on hair, makeup, and wardrobe, uh, particularly hair, makeup. How do you get 12 people processed if you have one person doing hair and makeup? You can't have someone on set monitoring your actors and keeping your star looking proper while you have nobody in the trailer doing the day players. 
and you certainly can't afford to bring the day players in four hours before you need them to get them done and then have them sit around because they go into overtime after eight hours. And all of a sudden, your $1,000 is gone to $1,500, $1,800. So there are costs that are beyond just the number of physical actors you have on set that have to be taken into consideration. You also have little things like, well, that's extra meals, that's extra craft service, that's extra lunches. Um, it It's a snowball effect. So, yes, we I try and, you know, I argue seriously. These five lines can either go away or be given to people who you're already paying. <laughs> Particularly if you're giving them to people who are on a flat or, a, you know, um, the star of your show who's in for a one-time, you know, flat fee. Yeah, uh, all, all well-taken points in terms of what people should be thinking about uh, 100%. Uh, it, it's interesting because as, as you talk about that kind of stuff, it it brings up for me the idea that there is a certain craft to being a first AD. And, and I say that in the context of, well, yes, there's certainly a lot of numbers and sense and, you know, uh, considerations that you have to take into account unquestionably when you make a movie that a lot of the time the, the producer's role is to look at the, the finances and the budget and the creative and, and put that all together. But from the perspective of the first AD and the the way you're talking about it, and I, and I know you've talked a lot about the, the, the detail, but to get it to all work, to me, that just smells of, you know, craft uh, that it's a certain, there's a certain art to it. Uh, and I'm wondering if, you can, wondering if if you can talk about that that aspect of the job or if you feel that that's uh, even correct at all. Oh no, there there definitely is there there is a craft to it. And and it it's a it's a particular skill that I I'm not really sure how to describe um, because it it's a balancing act when when you start to put a schedule together. Um, and I I usually say this when I start a show I will have the perfect schedule for you as a producer the day after we wrap because that'll be the one we shot Um, I will do probably within each snitch there is a perfect schedule and it is it is like the the diamond cutter or the uh, stone cutter is is to chip away until you bring that out of the raw material, which is your your schedule and your scripts and your 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 script and your actor availability and everything else, is to nuance that out. And as soon as you find it, someone is going to throw a monkey wrench into the works. Uh, it will either be um, locations, and I mean one of the things that that I do is I try and get a schedule out as soon as I start working. And I know it will be wrong. I want people to come back and tell me I'm a complete idiot. How dare you do this? This is stupid or insane. I want everybody to come back and tell me where their issues are. Art department, locations, casting, um, uh, transportation, uh, um, you know, picture vehicles. This won't work. I, I can't get this on this day. Uh <clears throat> Perfect example. We have a government business. Uh, we, we need to be in a in a government building. Well, we can only shoot those on weekends. 
okay, so our schedule has just gone to, say, a Friday to Wednesday schedule. So I can shoot Saturdays and Sundays in, in government buildings. Um, I did a show years ago where on my first pass, um, I started with four days in a hospital because two shows that I'd done in, before, we went into a physical hospital that was dressed and ready for us. Art department comes around and goes, oh no, we're building it. We can't do that now. We have to do that at the end of the show. Go do this, the jail. We have the jail already. And they go, oh, I usually build jails. Oh no, okay, so we take the jail and we move it to the front. Um, okay, so we now have, we get all of that done and we have uh, a schedule that goes to actors. As a producer, you guys come back and you say, I have the perfect actor and this is his availability issues. Well, that really doesn't fit with what we're going. Okay, so now we throw the actor into it. We do all of that. We change it around. We now have a schedule that works for that actor. And then sometimes someone will come up with, we have a great guest star, but he's only available here. <laughs> and then that gets thrown into the mix. So it's a lot of juggling, and it's a lot of, it's a, and a lot of it comes down to a gut feeling based on experience. How long is it actually going to take us to shoot these scenes? The, so How long can we afford to be in this building? Uh, so I, I'm wondering then, do, do you feel uh, that a newer first AD or somebody who's newer to the business and, or, or trying to work their way up to becoming a first AD, uh, I'm wondering if... I'm wondering if the craft of the job has been lost to a certain extent and whether there is a an impetus to just kind of use the software that's available, like movie magic scheduling and putting it in and, and just kind of... I, I, I guess I'm asking, is there a disconnect between the just the mechanics of the job and the craft of the job? Oh, absolutely. Uh, what I've seen in the last mm, 10 years, 8 years, is a lot of people who go, well, I've graduated from film school, I have a copy of the Magic Scheduling, and I'm the first AD. I spent 12 years as a second before I moved to first. In those 12 years, I probably made, worked on 35 to 40 projects. That's, uh, I worked with seven or eight different first ADs. I worked with 30 or 40 different, no, probably 25 different directors. Um, but each project and each day brought a new challenge. And after 12 years as a second, I went, okay, now I feel comfortable that I can be the guy standing on set who goes, oh crap, the set's burned down, what are we going to do? And it's, the answer is certainly not go home. The crew is being paid Producers have a schedule to keep. Director has a schedule to keep. I'm going to find something to shoot. Even if it's only uh, three or four hours worth of work, we're going to accomplish something today. And I always have in the back of my mind what, what will happen if. And so many people, I mean, one of the issues that I've seen, uh, particularly in Canada, is um, this attitude of, well, I'm moving from third to first because my strengths are on the floor. And what the third AD sees is the first AD standing around telling people what to do. 
What they don't see is the paperwork and the, the prep that happens in the office when locations isn't available and art department is complaining about this and the producers are saying we can't afford this and you have actor availability issues and you have weather issues you have to take into consideration. You have makeup continuity and hair continuity and wardrobe continuity and all of this stuff comes to you on a regular, on a daily basis. They don't see that. They don't see, okay, so we're standing here and it's a beautiful summer day in Boston, but it's snowing in Toronto. How do we shoot this when I've got five, 50 people dressed in lightweight summer costumes and shorts and t-shirts who are supposed to be wandering around and having beautiful drink, uh, like drinks and lunch on a beautiful patio overlooking the lake? Right. Uh, Yeah. So so, uh, when, when you were, I mean, just on that point where you were talking about coming up through the business, what are the, the, I guess the one or two big lessons that you learned from the first ADs that you mentored under? Uh, What I learned from the first AD, I worked with one fellow for exclusively for eight years and he was probably the finest scheduler I have ever seen. He could read a script, and we did a lot of episodic work in TV movies. He could do one pass on the script, and just read it through, in his, and in his mind knew how the whole show would fall together. Um, and I learned that skill from him of what to look for, how to combine things. One of the things that I that I, I strive for in my initial prep work is I hate unit moves. A unit moves are a complete day killer. A unit move takes four hours out of your day. So a 12 hour day comes down to eight hours of shooting. Um, so, and I hate the even having to move base camp night after night after night because that puts pressure on the transport department it's extra bodies when we finish after a 12-hour day or even a 13 or 14-hour day the grips and electrics and camera have to pack all the gear into the truck that can take a minimum half hour more likely depending on the size of your your package an hour to an hour and a half then transport's got to drive all that stuff to a new location they've got to uncable drive it to a new location, cable it up, get the trucks ready to go, and make sure that the people who are actually doing it park the trucks in the right place. I mean, on more than one occasion, I walked on set in the morning to find our entire unit parked in the middle of my shot because it was a swing crew that came in, and the uh, whoever was running the show did not remember from our tech survey that we are going to be looking this way. Maybe not on the first shot, but on the fourth shot, we're looking that way. So now I've got all the trucks in the shot. Uh, they all have to be moved before we can actually start our day. Um, so yes, it takes time and it takes money to do it. My philosophy is to work with the locations department and the director and the production designer to let's find a place where we can hunker down and stay for as long as possible. If the trucks have to roll a uh, quarter mile, fine. Base camp stays where it is. Base camp stays four days, five days, six days, 10 days, 12 days, hopefully the entire show. I mean, I love working in a, in a sort of area where we can go in and we have seven or eight locations within, uh, you know, like a 360 degree camera pan of uh, where we're set up. That works for everybody. It gives the crew the ability to do walkaways, which is part of my guys. 
yes, we're going to go long today. We're going to do a 13-hour day. But at the end of 13 hours, you have 15 minutes to make safe and go home. As opposed to you've got a 13-hour day and an hour to pack up. And then you've got an extra 45 minutes at the beginning of the next day to unpack before you're ready to actually do something. So, yeah, I, I, I try and strive for that. Uh, but uh, getting back to your point, one of the issues is that people, I think, move up the ranks far too quickly and they come up without training. They think that uh, I've got a program that will automatically break the script down. And that's all I need to be an AD because I can stand on set and yell at people just like the guy that I worked for. There is an art to it. No, it's it's actually nice nice to hear because I think you know at the end of the day, this this business, like anything, is just information that's passed on. I don't want to say I don't want to say from generation to generation, but still from mentor to trainee. So, uh, Stuart, I, I want to thank you for your time today. I, I really appreciate all the insights that you've given. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, if people want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, through my email. My email is S-T-E-W-A-R-T-Y, Stuart Y, at D-H-C, Delta Hotel Charlie, dot net. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Stuart. 